I'm going to be reading the entirety of Psalm 106 this morning. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can shew forth all of his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I, may see, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory in thine inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked them, provoked him at the Red Sea, even at the Red Sea. Or I'm sorry, at the Red Sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make them make his mighty power be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then believed they his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They, for, they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan, and covered the company of Abraham. And a fire was kindled, kindled in their company, and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of the ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land, they believed not his word, but murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor, and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him with, to anger with their invitations, inventions, and the, uh, the plague break in upon them. And stood up Phineas and ex executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed and that it was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they had sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-warring a with, with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they hated them 
and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me this morning as we look to God's word and learn a bit, I, I, I pray, about what uh, Psalm 106 uh, as an example uh, of many prayers of confession we see in the scripture. Uh, my hope is that we can learn much here from God's word about this this morning. So uh, if you would pray with me. Uh, Lord, we've, we've been given access to your throne by grace. Not a one of us deserves this access. That's the very essence of your grace. You've afforded us a privilege which we've not earned or merited. Coming into your presence is a privilege, and one not to be taken lightly. Lord, I confess that we oftentimes have taken for granted your privileges. We've treated you on many occasions as just another person, a common object perhaps, no different than anyone here on earth. Confess that we've not walked in your ways as we should. We've not consulted your word as we ought to. We've not prepared our hearts as we should when we come to gather together as a body of believers. We've in large part neglected you. We've, we've set you somewhere other than on the throne of our lives. Confess that we think more about our plans than your plans. Confess that our pursuit of you is not fervent and passionate like it should be. Lord, I realize this subject of confessing our sins is not a favorite topic up for discussion. Lord, I pray that you would take your word Take my words that I speak and speak to us. We need to hear you today. We need confirmation that we can bring all of our sin to you. That we can cast it all upon you. We need to get clarity on coming clean with you, Lord. Arriving at a place of restoration whereby we can truly worship you and praise your name. Father, I'd ask that you would search us, that you would know our hearts, that you would try us, that you would know our anxieties, see if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us, Lord, I pray, in the way everlasting. 
For your name's sake we pray. Amen. There's an old man who once suffered inner turmoil as the direct result of unrepentant sin in his life. There was no peace for his sin-harboring soul. And the more he was convicted of his sin, the more he resisted until he could bear it no longer. At last he went to his neighbor who lived on the farm next to him. He said, Henry, I'm sorry. I I stole a rope from you a while back. And I've come to confess my sin to return this rope to you. I'm sorry. Henry forgave him. The old man returned back to his home. But he still, in his conscience, was stirred. His conscience was tormenting him that night when he went to bed. So the next day, he goes back to his neighbor to speak to him again. He says, "Uh, Henry, I forgot to tell you. You know that rope I brought to you yesterday? I I forgot to tell you that on the other end of that rope was a cow. What's the lesson here? Full confession? Coupled with repentance over having done a brother, a neighbor wrong? equals true confession. Only a full confession coupled with repentance over having done your brother or sister wrong. This is a true confession. Have you been there before? Gone to that other person? Confessed your sin? That that unsettling feeling that all is still not well here. You know, we sing, it is well with my soul. But I believe many of us, if not all of us, have had those moments where all is not well with our soul. There's something wrong here on the interior. And no one else may know it, but you know it. You know it. You've not disclosed your sin. It most likely has to do with the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit operating in you. Have we forgotten that the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into all truth? Perhaps coupled with that, we've forgotten that the Holy Spirit's role, in fact, His name in the Scripture, is the Spirit of truth. Right? Read John's Gospel, 14, 15, and 16, and you'll be able to identify that for yourself. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin. Right? 
This 106th Psalm, thank you, Justin, for reading the text this morning. It's largely a psalm of confession. Beginning with verse 6, going all the way to verse 46, it's confession. He's confessing his generation's sins. We have sinned along with the sins of his fathers. This confession appears to be penned in a foreign land. Verse 47, he cries out, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles. There's a longing to return to God's land with God's people. We see this in verse 5. This is part of his personal plea when he cries out to remember him and to visit him with salvation. There's this longing to return to God's land with his people to participate in the glory of God's inheritance, to firsthand see the benefit of God's chosen ones, to, to rejoice in the gladness of his nation. Confession of sin can be made corporately, as the psalmist is doing here in 106, confessing the sins of God's people through history. The psalm covers history from Egypt through Babylonian captivity. Approximately 800 years of history. You can think about it this way. About 800 years of sins are being confessed and written down. 106 verse 6 says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. We see David confessing his personal sin to God in Psalm 51, don't we? Other personal confession psalms or penitent psalms. Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 143. Those are a few others that you could look at. Nehemiah prays a corporate prayer of confession to God in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And later on in Nehemiah in chapter 9, the people of God themselves and the Levites, they stand and they corporately confess their sins. I'd like to hold Psalm 106 before you this morning as an example, as a template, one of many we could turn to. I chose 106 to read for this morning because it tracks the journey of God's people through some familiar terrain. It's, it's familiar to us because over the past 14 weeks, we've been covering from Genesis through Second Chronicles, all of this history in 106 we've covered. For this morning's purposes... Instead of reviewing the sins of Israel, which are many, I'd like to address this prayer of confession in the Scriptures. In both our personal lives, in the corporate body, here at Hope in Christ. And I'd like to deal with a series of questions pertaining to the prayer of confession. So, I went ahead and put the five questions up here on the board. We're going to work our way through them as we look to the Scripture. Question number one, what is it? We'll define confessing. What is it to confess? Question two, why is confession 
largely absent today. Question number three, what ingredients or what makes up the prayer of confession? When you read a prayer of confession in the Scripture, what are the components, what are the parts, if you will, of this prayer oftentimes? Question four, what happens when we keep sin unconfessed? And question five, why confess your sins? Those are the questions we'll work through. Question number one, what is it to confess? Well, one was already read this morning, in fact, in Romans 10. I appreciated you reading that text in Romans 10. The word confession is actually there, confession with our mouth. One rendering of the word confess could just simply be uh, synonymous with profession. We confess, we are making a profession with our mouth that we believe, right? In a court of law, confession is sought to convince a jury that their side is right. If they can get certain witnesses to confess, the judgment might swing a certain direction. That is, if the right people get on the stand and confess. Now, understand that this rendering of confession doesn't always coincide with telling the truth. Doesn't always coincide with telling the truth but merely in trying to win a case and be convincing enough in a court of law. Another way we tend to think of confession is to admit to something that you've done. You ever feel guilty or ashamed of something that you've done and hope that no one would find out about it? Anybody here ever done something? You can remember something from when they were a child, perhaps, or some of you who are still children, can remember what you did this past week and something you hope no one would find out about it. But as we're asking the question, what is confession? Confession is just simply admitting to something that you've done. It's actually, listen to this, this is a novel idea in our society today. It's taking responsibility for your actions. When you confess, you are admitting that you are the responsible party for the damage that was done, for the wrong that happened. You're telling the truth about what happened. To some, a confession might simply be a means to get something off of their chest. You might feel better about admitting to something, But nothing has really happened right here in the heart. Nothing's really happened here, but boy, you feel better because you've just confessed it. You've unloaded. Biblically speaking, confession is saying the same thing as God would. Saying the same thing as God would. In most instances, that something that you are saying the same thing about is sin. Confession in the Bible is oftentimes linked to sin. When we talk about confessing, oftentimes you might ask, confess, what are we confessing? We're confessing our sins. What exactly are you confessing when you open your mouth? You are saying the same thing as God would about your sin. 
in essence, here's what's happening. You are agreeing with God about your sin. Okay? So when we ask, where's the intersection of agreement as it pertains to your sin? Listen, a holy God hates sin. Therefore, you are agreeing, you are saying the same thing. I too hate sin. When you come before him with a particular sin, i.e. lying lips, and confessing this sin of lying, you're agreeing with him, I too hate lying. It helps when we identify the sin, by the way, when we come to confess it. What if we really operated this way? Agreeing with God about what He says in regard to sin, knowing He's a holy God. We have to start there, who God is, right? God is holy. Well, this segues right into the second question. Why is confession largely absent today. Now, I would imagine that many of you here don't just jump into your prayer time with confession of sins. Far too many of us, I believe, leave out confession as part of our own prayer time. Is it because we have largely removed prayers of confession from the scene, both at a personal level and a corporate level? Is it because we, we've come, become too accustomed to making people feel good that we've ignored the mandate to confess our sins? It doesn't feel good, therefore I'm not going to do it. Is it because we have a low view of God and what He thinks about sin? Remember, we've already, already come to the point of understanding that God is holy. He's a holy God, and as a holy God, He hates sin. Have we lost the need to confess sin because we've presumed upon God's grace? Isn't that the argument that Paul takes up in Romans? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace might increase? Remember the answer from Paul? Certainly not. No. Oh, oh, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. We presume upon His grace. Perhaps that's one reason why we have very little awareness of the need for this prayer of confession. Many of you have heard about or have seen probably the uh, ACTS model, A-C-T-S, right? You're probably familiar with it. For those that are not familiar with it, there's nothing magical about it, it's, but it does serve as a helpful guide in our prayers to the Lord. The A stands for adoration. The C stands for confession. The T stands for thanksgiving. And the S is supplication. When we think about adoration, uh, really we think about uh, this, this is a time in our prayer when we acknowledge who God is. And one of the things we acknowledge about him is, not, is, is he's a holy God. As we're talking about prayers of confession, he is holy. In the sea, the confession, what is it we're confessing? We're confessing our sin. And the adoration is focused upon who God is. When we think about confession, 
it really centers on who we are. And, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is, is this. We're not God. Who man is, we are in need of a holy God to intervene and take care of this sin in our lives. It's a reminder of the chasm that, that's there when we sin. The barrier that gets put up when we sin against God. And yes, he's taking care of the sin, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. But this need to come before him and confess our sins on a regular basis, I believe is a very important thing for us as a man and a woman, a young man, a young woman in Christ to, to do this and to be about practicing this. The T is thanksgiving, and it focuses on really what God has done. Not necessarily on who he is, but on what he has done. He has done great things, right? And then the S is the supplication. What needs that you might have? What needs that others might have? And how you might be praying for them? You know, Jesus in the Scripture, he's teaching his disciples to pray, and he includes a component of confession in his instruction. And, and Luke Chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. If this is the pattern and the rhythm of prayer from Jesus, then sin is intended to be dealt with. Asking for daily needs, give us this day our daily bread, your kingdom come, hallowed be your name, protect us from the evil one. All these things are also, they're there in the instruction of Jesus' prayer. They're present, but so is dealing with ongoing sin in our lives. The pattern is to address it regularly with the Father in prayer. So if we're going to deal with the sin in our lives... How do we do that? What are the components of such a prayer of confession? And that really is the third question here. What ingredients make up this prayer of confession? Alexander, uh, Eric Alexander in his book, um, Prayer, a Biblical Perspective, highlights some specific components of confession and typically when we come across these prayers of confession in the Scripture, we, we encounter these five components, at least in part, if not in full. And, and I'd like to share uh, these, these five components with you. The first one is hopefully an obvious one, but when we're talking about prayer of confession, uh, sin is going to be a part of the equation. Sin. We're coming to confess our sins. And just in, in brief, uh, we see the Scripture point to a few words for sin, transgression, to transgress. It's more of an outward uh, rendering of this word sin. It's a, it's a crossing of the line to transgress, to go over the line. God's drawn. God's drawn a boundary marker, and we have transgressed. We've gone over. Another word that might be used is, is rebellion. We've rebelled against God. We've just outwardly gone against what he has said we're not to do. 
There's another word that we see a lot of times in the scripture, and it's iniquity. Iniquity. And iniquity really has a lot uh, to do with more of the inward uh, speaking to, uh, it's addressing the corruption of character uh, on the inside. Then the word itself, sin, is actually used on many occasions. And in the general sense of the word, it's, it has in mind to miss the mark, right? If I were to have a bow and arrow up here and I was to have a target and I was to fire that arrow and, and miss my target, it's an example of missing the, missing the mark, Sin is missing the mark that God has established. You know, the Bible calls us, Jesus himself says, that we are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. Listen, just because I missed the mark closer to the mark than you doesn't make me any better. We've all missed the mark. In fact, the Bible says that very thing, doesn't it? In Romans 3.23, we have all sinned. All of us have missed the mark. We talk about what makes up this prayer of confession. One of the ingredients that's a part of this is our sin. Alexander writes, he says, We are born with a destiny to love and serve God. In other words, we were created in His image, weren't we? But he goes on, he says, Not only are we born with this destiny to serve and love God, but we're also born with an inclination to love and serve self. And therein lies part of the problem, <laughs> part of the challenge, our sin. Well, there's a second part to this that, that we oftentimes see. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about this one. Forgiveness is, is to pardon or to overlook an offense and treat the offender as not guilty. Notice there's an offense and offender. An offense and an offender. Do we forgive? Do we overlook an offense and treat the offender as not guilty? David cries out in Psalm 51 to God, Blot out my transgressions. Ephesians 4.32 Be about forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, which is the context he's speaking here of this new covenant to come in Christ. And he says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Psalm 130, we read a portion of this this morning. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. There's forgiveness with you. Jesus himself in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
There's caution here, isn't there, in the Scripture about acting like that unmerciful servant? Remember the story. He begged the king to pardon his debt that he couldn't pay. That's forgiveness. Pardon. Someone who pardons someone else. He pardoned the debt. This man was not able to pay. The king releases him. And immediately upon being released, this same man goes out and finds another man who owes him money. And instead of pardoning him as he was shown pardon, he demands that this other man give him his money. The Bible would call us to forgive others as God, through Jesus, has forgiven us. We think about a prayer of confession. It's made up of sin. It's also made up of forgiveness, forgiving one another. Here's the third component. Mercy. Mercy. In short, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Psalm 103, verses 10 and 11 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise God! Think about that. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. When we come to God confessing our sins, we come not because of our own goodness, not because we deserve something from God. We come as a beggar, poor in spirit, realizing that our sin subjects us to judgment before a holy God. That's why I believe in Psalm 51, verse 1, David begins his psalm of confession Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. We sang this morning, Mercy there, speaking of Calvary, the place where Christ was crucified. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied. Multiplied to me. I'm some 2,000 years removed. It was multiplied to me and to you. There my burdened soul found liberty. Mercy. Here's the fourth part. Cleansing. Cleansing. When we come before God, we think about and consider a prayer of confession. What does that look like? Hopefully, there's a desire to be clean, to be cleansed from the sin. David says in Psalm 51, verse 7, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be made clean. 
There, there are two Hebrew words for wash. The first word has in mind a light rinse. The second word has in mind a pummeling. Uh, the idea of removing ingrained dirt by a heavy laundering. That's the idea here. A pummeling. But we need it too. We need to be pummeled when we sin. <laughs> we need to be turned back to God. That's why I believe the, the psalmist on many occasions is, Make me walk in the path of your commandments. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what, church? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From, from just part of our bad stuff that we've done? No. He, he's, he's able because he's God and he can do this. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That's the promise. Isaiah 1, 15 and 18 when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Come now, he says in verse 18, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? As white as snow. There's an element there in Isaiah 1, if you read it, not only of what God will do with their sins, but there's also a call for the people to wash themselves. To make themselves clean. In what sense? To stop with all the wickedness and stop with all the evil. To come clean. To, as, as John writes in his first epistle, to purify yourself, just as he's pure. Cleansing. Here's the last one. This is a beautiful one. Restoration. Alexander writes, the restoration of God is not just a restoration to His presence and fellowship, but a restoration to usefulness and service. You see, being restored into the presence and fellowship of God is the hope for one who sinned against Him. But David, in that Psalm 51, he's also praying that he'd be useful in God's kingdom, that he'd be able to still serve God effectively. Sin has a way of tarnishing the reputation, doesn't it? One poor decision can forever change the way other people look at you. Did you know that? In fact, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure it out. We read about it almost every day. Somebody making a certain decision, and their world just crumbles. When your character takes a hit, people lose trust in you. How many times have you seen sin's devastation? And yet as destructive as sin can be, I believe that David's prayer there in Psalm 51 
has been abundantly answered. I love this about Psalm 51. He's praying to be restored and upheld. If you look at Psalm 51, you see this very clearly. He's praying to be restored and upheld. In verse 12, for what purpose? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Not only is David hoping to use his own mouth to witness to others of God's merciful ways, but I believe his prayer has been answered through the numerous other lives throughout history who've opened up to Psalm 51. How many people have thought, there's no way of return here. There's no way. God's not going to want anything to do with me now that I've done this. I've gone too far this time. There's no hope for me. I feel so hopeless. There's no one who can really dig me out of this hole now. And time and again, people turn to Psalm 51, and they read in verse 17 that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 34 says that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Coming to the Lord, mourning over their sin, knowing that it's displeasing to God. How many times since David Pen these words in Psalm 51. How often has God answered David's prayer to teach transgressors their ways? How often has God converted the heart of a sinner through his own sinful ways? How how often has God restored the unlovable? How often has he provided hope for those who are hopeless? You see, God keeps on answering this prayer because it's at the core of, of who he is. He has a heart that none would perish. His heart is that all would come to, what is it, church? Repentance. What is repentance? It's that place where a person is truly sorry for his sin. It's a place where he hates and forsakes his sin, knowing that God hates it. And now we're getting somewhere. Because you see, hopefully that sounds familiar. You see, the place of repentance is a place where when arriving at this place through God's tender mercies and His abundant grace, where the person begins to agree with God about his sin. With his mouth, he says the same thing that God does about his own sin, and he becomes disgusted with it, and he turns an about face with his life. That's repentance. It's an about face. I'm not going back here anymore. And he does this because he now, perhaps for the first time, realizes the separation that happens with his sin. And now he realizes also the shame that's brought to the name of Jesus when he chooses to make a habit of sinning. Because he's remembering that God is holy. He is without sin. And he's called me now to be holy just like he's holy. A repentant heart is awakened to these things. 
and desires to please God and forsakes sin. True confession of sin is full confession. It's coming clean. It's not holding back. And it also includes godly repentance. There's a word of warning here. I believe the Bible is clear on the effects of unconfessed sin in our lives. Question number four, what happens when we keep sin unconfessed? What happens? I'd like to share some verses, and I'd like you, you can jot these down. I think these would be really helpful for you to go back and, and look at and prayerfully consider some of these verses. The Scriptures connect our handling of our sin, our view of sin, and place that alongside God's response or lack thereof to our prayers. It may be helpful just to jot some of these down as you consider the need for confession in your own prayers. Proverbs 14, 9 says that fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. Why is there favor among the upright? There's favor among the upright because of all the things we've talked about to this point. The upright is taking his sin to God with a right heart and a right spirit. Fools mock at it. Let's not be in the camp of the fool. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine: the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. That ought to remind us of James five sixteen, which says to confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Proverbs 28, verse 9, One who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Unconfessed sin. What happens? Sounds like to me from the Scriptures, we don't get heard. We don't get airtime with God. And listen, has nothing to do with God. Has everything to do with us. You know, a few weeks back, a few months back, maybe it's been a year or two ago, Chris. I know you brought it up a few times, but that, that pipe... We're talking about this right here and thinking about unconfessed sin. Essentially, what we've done is we've clogged the pipe so that God can't get in. God, God's not going to. He can't. There's sin that needs to be dealt with, needs to come forward. It's dangerous, like that old farmer. He resisted, he resisted, he resisted, until one day he goes and he confesses that he took the rope. Doesn't tell the whole story. Praise God, the Holy Spirit seemed to be working on him, wouldn't let him go. Isaiah 59, what a wonderful passage this is, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But listen, he says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. 
so that he will not hear you. So why is he not going to hear you? Your sins. <laughs> Your iniquities that you have hidden. The question comes up, didn't Jesus pay for all my sins at Calvary? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, praise God, yes, he did. In fact, if you turn with me for just a moment to Hebrews, I think it's important to just solidify this as well as we're teaching on this. In Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 26, talking about Jesus, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself once, but now once. Verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Look at chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, chapter 10. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So if he sufficiently took care of my sins at Calvary, and by the way, that's one of the reasons we rejoice and sing about at Calvary. That's what happened. He took care of that at Calvary. Why then all the fuss about confessing my sins now? It's paid for, right? Aren't my sins paid for? Why do I need to confess sin now? Paid full, paid in full for sure, yes. But listen, the relationship of sin toward a holy God hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. God still hates sin. And as long as we have this earth intent, we are still subject to sin. Here of late, on the, uh, the dining room table, we have, uh, my wife started this, and I kind of followed suit, and uh, one of our sons followed suit after that. We've kind of been become the sticky note family, um, putting either verses of Scripture or just verses that we come across or, or quotes that we've come across in our reading. Just put them there on the dining room table so that when you're passing through the dining room and in our house, you pass through the dining room if you're going to go anywhere. You pass through the dining room and you see them. They're on the table, right? And I so much appreciated this one uh, that she left on the table as it relates to what we're talking about. And the writer here says this in this quote. She says, although... Sin was paid for in full at Calvary. Sin unconfessed before the throne of God puts a barrier between God and His child. Sin unconfessed before the throne of God puts a barrier between God and His child. Anyone here desire to erect a barrier between you and God? I don't. Because that's what happens when sin remains unconfessed in your life. So what then is the godly response to sin in our lives? Here's the last question. Why? Why confess your sins? First John 1. I'll read 8 and 10 first. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we do with our sins? We can ignore. We can pretend like it's not happening. We can be a finger pointer and always find someone else to blame for our sin. We can try to smooth over our sin by always rationalizing it, making it sound better than what it really is. We can operate like that old farmer in the opening illustration. We can confess a certain amount of sin, but not give the full report. Or we can confess our sins like we've been called to. He's faithful and just. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. And by the way, his faithfulness and justice isn't predicated upon your confession of sin. Let's make sure we're clear on that. He doesn't all of a sudden become unfaithful and unjust because you choose not to confess your sins. The Bible is helping us understand to whom we take our sins. To this faithful, covenant-keeping God, a just an altogether righteous God who loves His children. Why wouldn't you want to take your sins to this good Father in heaven? He promises to forgive you of your sin. He promises to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. Remember that this is one of the purposes, church, for God sending His Son, Jesus, to take away your sins. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, the angel says it in Matthew 1, 21. He's coming to take away the sins of His people. He took on flesh and blood. In other words, He became like us, Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15 says, that through death He might destroy Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And, listen, there's another reason, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Bible calls us to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares, Hebrews chapter 12, that we might run with endurance the race that's set before us. And again, here in the Hebrews 12 text, there's embedded in the text an assumption that we're still subject to sin Even after Christ's death on the cross, the call is to lay it aside, to throw it off, to lay aside every weight that hinders and the sin which so easily ensnares, to deal with the stuff that you're carrying with you. That's the weights. A runner's not going to run with a bunch of weights in his hand. Not going to wear a lot of clothing. Not going to wear this big heavy winter coat and try and run a race. but I believe the writer is also calling us to deal with the stuff that's in here. Not just the stuff that's on and out here, but the stuff that's in here. Heart and mind. And you know, it can look to so many like you're running this race of endurance, but you're dying on the inside. You're shriveling up on the inside. 
But like that farmer, you just keep on resisting. You keep holding on to your sin. Just like that farmer who had no peace for his sin-harboring soul. The Bible tells us that all have sinned. And John wrote that first epistle. I love chapter 2, that you might not sin. He wrote it so that they wouldn't sin. He's writing to a group of believers, encouraging them. But then he goes on and he says, but if you do sin, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate, by the way, is one who pleads the cause of another in a court of law. One who defends or vindicates by argument. One who is friendly or stands as an advocate of peace for the oppressed. It's true what the song says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to him in prayer. He is our advocate. Our advocate of peace before the Father in heaven, our defender. Through Jesus, listen, we're covered, friends. All the more reason to go to him regularly with our sins. All the more reason to confess the sins that so easily entangle. He knows your every weakness. He knows your frame. He knows all about you. He knows the hairs on your head. He created you. He bought you with a price once for all at the cross of Calvary. There he pardoned you. There he set you free from that bondage. There's no need now to return to it. No need to entangle yourself any longer to that yoke of bondage. If we do sin, we have an advocate in Jesus. Listen, that in no way diminishes the ugliness of our sin. He still hates sin. But it does help, does it not? Knowing that the advocate before the Father, the one God the Father appointed as judge (laughs) over all the world, he's defending me before the Father. And so whenever the evil one comes and makes his accusations, as we saw in the book of Job, right? He comes for, yeah, and they're having this little dialogue in Job 1 and 2. Our advocate stands before the Father and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This one is mine. This one is covered by my blood. He's pardoned. She's been forgiven. Why confess your sins? I'll leave you with words from Paul to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, that would be from the wood and hay and stubble, He will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. We talk about this prayer of confession. 
We talk about these components of this prayer. The idea here of this. The big picture. I believe Paul gets it right as he's speaking to Timothy before he leaves this earth. He's encouraging and exhorting Timothy to be a vessel of honor so that you might be, Timothy, sanctified and useful for the Master, prepared for every good work. Don't allow unconfessed sin keep you from being a vessel of honor, being used for the Lord's purposes. One writer said as we close, the way to cover our sin is to uncover it by confession. Let's pray. Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, You who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. That you may hear the prayers of your servants day and night. We pray, Lord, and confess the sins of our own children. Our Father's generation, we confess the sins that we've committed against you. Just as the psalmist says in 106, we have sinned along with our fathers. We've acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments, the statutes, the ordinances which you've commanded in your word. Lord, I pray, according to your loving kindness, that you would restore us unto your salvation, that you would wash us, Lord, that you would make us whiter than snow. Lord, that in restoring us, we would be restored so that we might be useful to you, our Master, that we might be fully equipped for every good work. And Lord, we realize and recognize that being fully equipped means being able to fully hear from you. And when we are keeping our sin and not confessing our sin regularly to you, we're clogging those communication channels And we're not going to be able to be a vessel of honor. We're not going to be able to be fully equipped for every good work. So, Lord, it's our prayer that we would come to you in humility. That, Lord, in your grace, you would reach down. That you would show us your ways and make us by your good spirit walk in your ways. May this people here be a truth-telling people. A people who are quick and ready to confess sin when it comes.
may we rejoice in knowing that we take these sins to you, God, knowing that with you there is abundant redemption and there is tender mercy. We thank you for loving us and caring for us as a father does his own children. Continue to speak to us through your word, I pray, about this prayer of confession in our lives and pray that we would be able to, as you direct us through your word, implement this into our own personal lives, but that also as a body we would see our responsibility to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another. And there's great healing and comfort that comes as a result of that. So, Lord, continue to teach us and continue to minister to us as we look to your word in this arena of prayers of confession. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.